I'm Jeff Wright, and welcome to the Blame to Fame podcast. As an entrepreneur, I have not only built an extremely successful business from scratch, but also employed thousands of men and women and helped them on their path to financial freedom. One of the most common themes for me and everyone else who has succeeded is that we never blame anyone and are aware that our success or failures fall solely on our shoulders. It was not until I hit rock bottom that I realized that only I alone could change my future. And on my podcast, you're going to hear the stories of successful folks who have gone from blame to fame in their own lives. I look forward to sharing my journey and great guests that will educate you about their path to success. Please join me each week on the Blame to Fame podcast. All right, today we got a special guest. We have Mr. Dino Watt. Dino is in Utah. Yeah. He is a transformational coach. He's a best-selling author. Got a couple of books out there. Uh, uh, he's a great speaker, has a great Instagram. Uh, you really <laughs> should follow it. I've been looking at it, and uh, he puts a lot of cool stuff out there. Dino, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. Dino, tell me, tell me what you're all about. I see, I see the things that you do. Uh, looks like a, a lot of team coaching that you're doing on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you do a lot of speaking. I really like a lot of the the things you have to say. It Thanks. sounds to me like um, I kind of adopted this this whole thing of being less reactionary to people mm -hmm. and being more curious. Love that. Yep. That's, yeah. that's me. I mean, honestly, that that's a great way to say it because I, I think we are missing curiosity in the world. And if you really try to be more curious as opposed to accusational, and I think we do a lot of accusations on people and I just made an accusation, right. To be able to, if you're in a workplace in your marriage and uh, with your kids, my wife used to have a thing saying, we just make statements to each other as opposed to asking questions. And so I created this whole idea in one of my processes around being more curious as opposed to accusational and how much that actually helps you get to know one another and connect with one another. And I got to tell you, it's fascinating. I do an exercise with some of my teams a couple of months into my program where I do a, a get to know you sheet. And these are people, some of them have worked together 10, 15 years, some of them soon, you know, more recent, say two, three years. But one of the questions in the get to know you sheet is uh, what's something that you'd be surprised, what's something you don't know about me that you'd be surprised to learn? And that question, a lot of the other ones are like, do you prefer Backstreet Boys versus, you know, NSYNC or whatever, right? They're very, very surface level. Neither that, one. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so so for, for people like us, I have like Beatles versus Rolling Stones. So I, I changed that up there too. Uh, so that question alone gets people gets so deep with people and curious and people are like, I had no idea. We've worked together for 10 years. I had no idea you dealt with depression. I had no idea that you had a, a father who committed suicide. I had no idea, like all these things. And so it's really passionate. So when you ask me what I'm about, I'll tell you this. My mission in life is to reverse the direction of divorce, addiction, and suicide amongst business owners and their team members. So that's my, what I wake up every single day thinking about how can I create content, create opportunity, be funny, uh, vulnerable to help people overcome divorce, addiction, and suicide. And that comes from a place of when I was eight years old, watching my father uh, 
pack up his Honda hatchback and drive away from us. And me going, man, this sucks. <laughs> I don't yeah. want this. I don't want this feeling again. So yeah, that's what I'm all about. It's the divorce thing. So destructive, isn't it? My, yeah. my daughter uh, just kicked her husband out of the house. Oof, so hard. And they, she flew down, has two kids, adorable, you know, one's four, the other one's about to be six. Uh, and, and I, I felt so sorry, uh, cause I, even, you know, my grandson, six years old, it's, it's affecting him oh, in, sure. in, in a big way. And just from talking to her, I, d- I didn't really want to delve into it too much because I wanted them to relax, but it, it really, it really confirmed my, my theory that most divorces that I see, I've got a lot of insurance agents. And mm. so uh, I, I do a lot of, of, of handholding for people outside of business. I'm always talking to them about marriages and, you know, God knows what. Mm. But I think that one of the biggest reasons uh, people get divorced now, it, it's not about cheating or, or running around. It's not about money. It's not about any of that. I think the biggest thing is a lack of accountability. It, yeah. it, it's, it's truly a lack of accountability. And that's why they're, they're splitting up now is, yeah. is because of that. He, you know, she claims he's not accountable for, for anything or, and, and not communicating and, and, you know, and showing that appreciation because, you know, a lot of times, you know, I think, you know, people say marriages are a 50, 50, that's bullshit. Marriage totally. is not 50, 50. No, no way. way. Nope. Um, I think what marriage is, is when you have someone who is, um, who can only bring in, you know, say 20% of the money, you have the other person who is overcompensating for that, bringing in the other 80% of the money, uh, but not begrudging them. And the person who's only bringing in the 20% overcompensating, uh, the 80% that the other person isn't bringing in and it's showing appreciation to each other for doing that and being accountable. And, uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, divorce is just too easy these days. Isn't it? I mean, I went through one, uh, eight years ago, cost me millions of dollars. It's, you know, all my kids were grown. I didn't have little kids when I did it. And, and it, 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 even now it's so destructive. It's so, so expensive. Um, you know, it, it's terrible. And I think that lack of accountability is the biggest problem uh, or the biggest culprit why that is today. I mean, well, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's definitely one of them. It's funny. There's that old saying about uh, if you if you think uh, education is expensive, try stupidity or something like that. And then uh, in the same way, like if you think marriage is expensive, try divorce. Like, like yeah, it's way more expensive. Um, I, I do. I think there's an accountability factor. I think there's uh, a couple of main factors. So one of the things about me is when I started this world of personal development and speaking and training, I started actually in the marriage space. I had a company called the business of marriage. And what I did is I went to top executives and professionals and I would help them primarily men put business structure into their marriage. Now it sounds very cold and isolated, but really all I would do was I would take the principle that has been proven to work scientifically through research to help couples have better relationships. 
a lot of it based upon Dr. John Gottman's research out of University of Washington, which I absolutely love. And I put a business spin on it to say, hey, you know, you know how you're kicking butt in business over here because you do X, Y, and Z. What if we took that process and brought that into your marriage? You're going to kick butt in your marriage too. And so I think there is definitely the accountability factor. One of the things that's been coming up a lot lately, and I, I really don't want any emails about this, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I think we've come to a place in our world where there are options available that people see. Now, there are safety protocol options for uh for women to leave their spouses, right, to leave their husbands. There are safety protocols for men to leave their wives that are put into our society. Number one, support. Oh, whatever your excuse is, whatever your reason is for leaving that person, you're going to find a group of people who will support you. You're going to find a group of people like, you are right. You, Yes, he was not accountable. Yes, and I, I don't have a clue about your daughter's situation, but whatever it is, oh, you're right. He was non-attentive. You're right. He was lazy. There's gonna, you're going to find people who will commiserate with you. That's our one of our favorite pastimes is commiseration in this country. So you're going to find that. So yeah. having options is a big challenge, is a big problem. Well, whenever I talk with someone who's having problems with their husband or problems with their wife, the first thing I will say to them, talk to them. Yes. Talk to them. Because what happens to your point when you want to commiserate with other people, when you want to talk to friends uh, about, you know, know, how how shitty your husband is or how bad your wife is or whatever – you're going to tend to gravitate towards people that you know are going to agree with you. Yep. 110%. Yeah, of course. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, you want to get marital advice from somebody who's been married five or six times or someone who's never been married or, or someone who can't hang on to a relationship, you know, they're, they're telling you the worldview as they see it. And, and, and they're not in, in that situation. Yep. And the thing is, is that, Having the conversation, um, you, you know, having the tough conversation, ripping off the Band-Aid is never as bad as you think it's going to be. Um, no. You know, it, 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 and I, I found that true in life. I've never experienced anything that was as bad as what my imagination Oh yeah, the, would tell the, me that 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 it would be, and you know your your yeah. imagination can be the biggest culprit of it all because you're always thinking about the worst case scenario. You think about all the worst shit that could happen. Oh when, yeah, when in fact, uh, a lot of times when you have the t- tough conversation, they're relieved that you're having it because they 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 don't want to bring it up either, and you're breaking that ice to make it happen. Yeah, it's never like your brain. I always call it the greatest soap opera writer ever. It, it it's never positive. Even when you want to be positive, you, you bat, it's always backed up with the negative thing. What if, Oh, I'm going to ask her to marry me. And she, I know she loves me. She's going to say yes. But what if she doesn't, what if she doesn't say yes? What, how embarrassed will I be? And you go through that rabbit hole, everything. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it, I always say there's so many situations in my life that have been so dramatic and hard and challenging. And most of them have never really happened. Cause it's all been in my head. Yeah. So what what do you think is the uh, the best thing that people can do if they're having trouble in their relationships and uh, 
Um, you, you know, and they need to, you know, they need to have converse, tough conversations with someone. What, what do you think yeah. is the, the best move they can make? The first thing is I think um, empathy. Like we, I think have a lack of empathy in our world today, especially in relationships, because we're taught everything teaches us to be selfish from social media to uh, empowering yourself ideas and mindsets and stuff that, that don't actually see the whole picture, the empathy of, all right, if I'm feeling this way, how are they feeling? What are they going through? If I was them, how would I feel? And, 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 and curiosity. So if I can have empathy and be more curious, I'm at least going to get an understanding. I'm at least going to give people an opportunity to tell me how, even if I don't like it, if they don't, if they don't, if they feel a certain way and I absolutely disagree, I don't understand why they, at least I can show some empathy. Listen, I think there's a lot going on in our world today that is the result of people just refusing to have any type of empathy towards anyone else. And you can look at that on both sides of whether political aisle or social aisle or whatever it is. And it's like, okay. And if I were to go through empathy, I could look at the people that I disagree with most in the world. And and by the way, I've gone through this, right? Cause I, I have children, I have adult children. And as you know, as well as I do, raising adult children is one of the hardest things that you do that nobody talks about. They always always talk about teenage years and whatever, but to watch people make decisions that you have zero control over, that you're not on that committee anymore, it's hard. And I actually just released a video, or no, I'm releasing, I just released a video on my social about that, about like watching this slow motion car wreck happen. And I have this phrase that I use from, uh, with my kids since I've, I've done since they were teenagers, which is I come to you from the future. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry, dude, that I come to you from the future. That's not going to work out well. I, I promise you, I tried it. That's um, interesting. But because we have be, with my kids, I've, I've been through that and I've had to get to the place of, all right. And if I was them, if I wanted to show pure, total empathy to that person, now that's my kid, right? It's kind of easier to do that. How do I do that with a stranger? How do I do that with somebody on the news? How do I do that with somebody who I don't really know? Now, my spouse, hopefully that makes it a little easier. But if we built up such a wall of frustration and anger and I'm right and I deserve and you don't understand, well, then it's going to be real hard to be empathetic towards somebody. So empathy and curiosity are probably the two things that I think will be the first step in anybody of how do they feel? I, the, the last thing I'll say this is all research all research shows that when couples are having frustrations in their marriage, that frustration usually lasts around five years. So within five years of, let's just say there's a frustration that starts, you start noticing it little by little by little things chip away. If you're working at it, if you truly care to work at it, it might be hard. It might be challenging, but know this research shows five years from now, you're going to look back and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe like I even thought about leaving you during that time. I'm so glad I didn't make that choice. So that's something to think about. Yeah, it's expensive, uh, as you say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and my my father used to tell me that the most expensive, <laughs> every lesson you learn in life is expensive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
And you mentioned social media, and that's a that's another thing. Um, people, you know, they get on TikTok, Instagram, whatever, and they're seeing all these people living the life. They're thinking, you know, a lot of women thinking, you know, every guy out there is driving a Ferrari and and all that. And you know, they a lot of them think, you know, they aspire to be with someone of this kind of wealth, and it's such a microscopic few. So now, microscopic. It's microscopic now. I live in a very wealthy uh, community uh, in Naples, Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that you can't swing a swing a dead cat and not hit a, a Ferrari or a Lambo. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the, the funny thing is, someone asked me the other day, "Is uh, is Naples the gold diggers uh, capital of America?" I said, "Well, no, I don't think it's the capital, but it's damn sure a big outpost." <laughs> And, you know, and every day I see uh, women who are broke, who have their lives totally changed by some older guy with a lot of money. But I don't recall seeing one wealthy woman even look a broke dude's way. Right. No, it's true. No, it's true. Not once. I I think there's definitely now I'm, I'm a really weird uh, social media person because I follow a lot. I, I you know, and I, and I think about it, I haven't thought about this before. In high school, I was friends with everybody. Like I, I got along with everybody from the heavy metal dudes to the drama club to the jocks. Didn't matter. I got along with everybody. I think my social media is a lot like that. It's very schizophrenic. I have, I have political stuff. I have social stuff. And one of the things that I've noticed on the social side of things is there definitely is this, this generation. And I hate being that 50 year old. like, oh, this generation doesn't know what they're doing. But this generation really talks a lot about this idea. And as you said, so many uh, especially, and I'm just, I'm just talking what I've seen sure. female females who have this idea that they, the ideal man is six foot plus makes at least 150 to 200 K a year. Uh, oh, by the way, they're 25 or, or less than that. 30 have a totally chiseled body and, um, and is going to take care of them. That is like less than 1% of the male population. Absolutely. And so all of you are going to compete, compete again for this one dude. Like that's just ridiculous. Yeah, and right. it's not reality either. It, it, you know, it's just this idea of, again, I come to you from the future. Let's think beyond this moment. Let's think beyond just what can I get right now and run? Cause you got a lifetime to live, man. And, and yeah, life is short, but it's also long. That's like every uh, every every girl I went to high school with. They were all going to go to New York City and be a model. Sure. You know how how many of them it actually happened to? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Same with football players. Right. Every football player is going to get in the NFL. Every basketball player is going to make it to the NBA. Come on, you guys. Like, let's be realistic. That's why I actually do think that's funny. We see that in parenting nowadays. Right. It's like getting our kids in every club and sport or whatever. It's like your, your kid's not going to make it by the way. Like this is what's created that American idol generation. I have a process that I teach around um, owning your role, which part of it is passion doesn't equal mastery. Mastery equals passion. Right. And so a lot of people believe just because I'm passionate about singing, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be the next Mariah Carey. So they get on American Idol, they open up their mouth and they sound like a bunch of cats being hit and hit, you know, slammed up against the the wall. And, and, you know, back in those days, Simon got a big rap of it when that first started, because he would be honest with him be like, no, you're terrible. You, somebody who lied to you, this is bad, yeah. but mastery 
creates passion. We've all been in a situation before where we started at something that we didn't like, that we were frustrated about, that it didn't feel like it was a fit, but we just kept at it, either through necessity or no other options. And then all of a sudden we started getting better and better and better. And suddenly, wow, this thing's making me money. This thing's making, I'm playing a song on a guitar or on the piano that I hated taking piano lessons. Whatever it is, that mastery created that passion. And I think we've lost that in our society of, especially with social media thinking, oh, I just got to throw a couple of TikToks up and I'm going to be TikTok famous. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, one, you know, speaking of, uh, of social, one thing that you were talking about uh, that really resonated uh, with me because I'm writing a, I'm writing a new sales book called learning. The, the book is called the art of shutting the fuck up. Okay. <laughs> True. <laughs> And so there are so many people in sales and in marriages, mm -hmm. okay, that uh, you, as you were saying uh, in one of one of your, uh, your videos is that most people are only listening to respond. Yeah, for sure. They're only listening to respond. Nobody wants, you know, there, there are too many people that, that they, they want to one up everyone. They want to have an answer to everything. Yep. And, you know, I, I, and I, I admit I used to do that too. Mm -hmm. And when I stopped doing that, life got so much better for me. It really did. People want to argue and I'm like, yeah, okay, well, you're right. What else is going on? And I, I just give it nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in sales, same thing the relationship I have with my, I got remarried uh, six years ago uh, you know, I, I, I don't listen to respond anything with her and mm. we get along beautifully. Mm. So but important. It's uh, but I really like the, the, like your take on that, that people are listening to respond instead of just listening to be curious. Well, that came from, thank you for that. I, that came from a place that the beginning of that clip that I don't have on, on the social media there is, uh, from a warning that I give to everybody. There's about 150 people in that room and, I do this typically when I start to speak, especially for longer term uh, speeches. And I will say, you're going to find things that I talk about here. And your brain is going to say these three words. And they're the most dangerous words you can ever use in any situation, which is, I know that. And the example I gave right before that clip started was about having a child come to you and want to tell you a joke. And let's say it's that generic joke, you know, hey, mom. What's black and white and red all over? And if your thought is, I already know this joke, but you even pretend like, oh, what is it, honey? You've just taken away the joy of being in the moment with that yeah. person. Well, we can do that with children, but how often do we do that with our colleagues, with our spouse, with uh, our friends? The moment you start to say, I know that, or I know this already in your head, you stop the conversation. You might as well turn around and walk away because you're not having a conversation anymore because you are waiting for them to shut up so you can then give your opinion on that thing. And it is such a hard thing to do because we all have opinions. We all want to feel important. We all want to feel included. I'm included in that too. I, I love the knowledge that I have. I love to share it. But it is so important for us to think about that and especially in our closest relationships. I've learned that a lot over with my wife and I, uh, we're empty nesters now. And 
it is one of the greatest gifts I think we have when we just kind of sit and and just listen. And yeah. we ha- we have a thing that we do, which is like, for example, if she were to walk into my office right now and we were to, as she sees I'm in the middle of doing something, not this, but say I'm working, is she will say, hey, do you have a couple of minutes so I can help you or so I can ask you a question? Or she'll text me and say, hey, in five minutes, can I get your attention? It gives me the ability to prepare for it. The second thing, though, that she'll do is she'll say, okay, I want to. I want to tell you something, but I don't need your opinion on it. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen to me about this so I can get out of my head. That is such a freaking gift because you know how many, you know how many years we went through of like, Oh, Oh, let me tell you how to fix it. Oh, and I don't care how to fix it. And then we get in a fight. So why'd you tell me about this thing? You don't want my opinion. Why you ask me? No, instead of setting it up, all communication wins or loses based upon the setup of that communication. And so we've learned how to do that. We're not perfect at it, but we do it quite a bit. And it's so important. So I had to learn a whole new way of communicating because uh, my wife uh, is from Russia. Oh, and and she speaks very good English, but I don't know how much, uh, how much experience you've had with Russians. There is no drama, which is great. But it's all very blunt. It's Just all straightforward. Very, it's all very straightforward. All wow. very, all very matter of fact. And and the first when we got married, you know, and we were talking, she would say things to me that would really rub me the wrong way. Mm. Um, but I had to realize she didn't really mean mean it in in a bad way. It's just the way that she talks, and it's the way that they they structured their sentences. So, right. so she has a little dog instead of her asking me, will you walk the dog? She says, you will walk the dog. Oh, got it. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, so it, I had, I had to, I had to develop a whole new way to, to talk to her, but mm. now that we're on the same page and, and, you know, and talking about responding to people, um, I have an 83 year old mother and she is one of those who loves to deliver the bad news. Oh, I got her too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So when, um, so she'll call me and she'll say, Hey, uh, so-and-so died last night. If I say to her, Oh yeah, yeah. I know I'll mess with her and I'll go, Oh yeah. I heard that already. And she'll just freeze. Oh, well, who told you? I said, no, I'm just kidding with you, mom. I didn't hear really. She died. And then she perks up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she died. <laughs> she wants to be the first be the first one to give me the wow. bad news. <laughs> wow. See, in that case, you need to just shut the F up and be like, oh, what, mom? What'd you say? Like, oh, really? <laughs> or, or sometimes I'll say, oh, I'll, I know that. Well, how, how do you know? Oh, it's all over the news. It was on Good Morning America this morning. Oh, my God. Really? No. no. (laughs) Totally messing with her. That's funny. But a lot of people, they want to they want to be the first to tell you something. And and uh, and if you tell them, I know that or I heard that it it diminishes their joy in some way or another, even even with bad news. 
which is well, kind of sad and sick, but that's just the way it is. And that even goes back to that curiosity factor, right? I'd like to be able to say, let her deliver the news and be like, oh, really? Wow. Like, how did you hear about that? Or, or who told you? Or like my friend uh, Ty Bennett has this thing, the rule of two, that comes from the idea of usually the conversation turns back to you, right? When you're having a conversation with somebody, you want to jump in and be a me too, or like you said, one up people. So his thing is the rule of two is you have to ask two questions about what they said before you can talk about yourself. So a friend died. Oh, how did she die? Oh, when, when did she die? Okay. Two questions. Now you can ask questions. Right. So, yeah. 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 That's a good thing because uh, again, it's all, you know, I I think 90% of whatever problems people have uh, in, in, in sales and a marriage, any kind of relationship, uh, is because 90% of what they say is reactionary. Yeah, for sure. Maybe, maybe only 10% being curious. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing is, you know, uh, you know, I'm in genius network and, and, and you were getting back in. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you're a big follower of Chris Voss. I am. Oh yeah. I love him. Yeah. yeah I love him. Yeah. Um, you know, and I love what he says, you know, and, and it's true. Every person on earth, don't care who it is. They want to be listened to and they want to feel understood. Yep. Oh yeah. Doesn't matter if it's your mom or if it's a serial killer, they they want to be listened to. They want to be understood. And if you show that empathy and if you show that you are listening to them and you are understanding them, it doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Right. You know, it, you just have to see where they're coming from. You know, it's like if someone will say something to me about politics mm-hmm. and it's something that I don't agree with, I, I don't I don't bark at them and go, oh, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You're full of shit. They're like, you know, you know I don't do right. that. Right. I will sim- I will simply say to them because I know where they got all their information. They they got it on TikTok yes. or, or on Instagram and yeah. and. And that's going to lean to whatever leanings that you have. I'll say, well, Tom, it sounds like you've really done a lot of research on this. Can you help me understand, uh, you, you know, the, the reasoning behind this? And, and of course, most of the time they can't do it. But when you when you go to these people and respond to them in in a manner of curiosity and asking them what and, and or how questions. As as Voss says, um, it totally takes them off their guard. They don't they yeah. don't even know how to react to that, and their whole temperature just calms down. It's amazing yeah. how well it works. I think it was him. I think it was he who talked about. I think it was his, uh, the story he had in and never split the difference where he said maybe it was in his master class where he said it was at a bar. And this other FBI, it was him because his FBI agent who was all ticked off and blah, 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 and getting kind of in his face. And finally, Chris was just like, hey, hey, so my name's Chris. What's your name? And just that alone diffused the situation because you you were curious about you were leading in with, hey, I'm a human being. Here's my name, which is the marker that I'm a human being and, and, and a competent person to know my own name. Right. Here you go. I'm actual flesh and blood. My name is Dino what's yours. Now you're curious about them. In a, in a couple of my speeches, I, I add to the curious about them. As I say, people want to know the three things most people want to know in life. Everybody wants to know in life is that you see them, you hear them and what they say matters. Exactly. Now, 
that matter part is important, right? Because just like you said, I don't have to agree with what matters to you, but I can be okay with that. Oh, that matters to you. That's great. I don't care about that, but good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. And and like this morning, um, I had to go to Home Depot this morning to pick up some things. Mm-hmm. And there was one thing I couldn't find. And I see the guy in the, in the orange vest who a hundred times a day is, is people are yelling at him. Hey, you, sure. or Hey, excuse me or whatever. I just walked up to him and uh, I said, Hey, looks like you got a busy morning going on. And he says, yeah, yeah, I do. I do have a, a busy morning. What, what, what can I help you with? Mm. And, and he took me to where he didn't just tell me what, uh, where it was. He actually walked me over. He was so appreciative that I called out what kind of day he was having. Yeah. And, and, and I guarantee you, I'm probably going to be the only person that did that with him today Yeah. because everybody else is going to be yelling at him, you know, you know, wanting this and wanting that. And people wonder why these people have such shitty attitudes on, on the job It's because, People don't treat them with respect. They don't, they don't call them out. I mean, they're, they're not employees of Home Depot. They're, they're fellow human beings. They need yeah. to be treated that way. Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. So um, tell me about, uh, uh, tell me about all the speaking gigs do you do or the, do you, you do corporate clients or, mm-hmm. or, or yeah. uh, all kinds yeah, I, of, I, I do a lot. I, um, I, I, for the last decade, I've been very focused in the medical space, uh, private practice owners, uh, a lot of dentists, orthodontists, chiropractors, um, anybody who really owns a business that has really between 10 and 60 people. I always say, if you know all the names of your employees, you're my client. If you have an HR department between you and them, you're probably not my client. Uh, because there's such a personal relationship between that. So I speak at large conferences. I speak at small events with just offices. So I was at an office just a couple weeks ago, had eight people in it. I do a four-hour training for them, all about connection and culture and communication. And then I'll speak to audiences of thousands where I I have a signature speech. I have a couple of signature speeches, but one of the most popular signature, signature speeches called how to be the ideal team player and avoid becoming a staff infection. And it's, (laughs) I'm really silly. And I am a 50 year old man that literally at one point dances Beyonce. I do MC hammer. Like I, I like to just have fun. I I believe that. Oh yeah. I believe that when you're laughing, you're learning. And so I try to create as much humor as possible because I'm also going to say things that are very poignant and matter of fact, so, for example, I will talk to most of the people that are there are going to be team members. And I'm very keen and aware of knowing that most of these people don't want to be here. They're here because it's a work conference. They're being paid to be here. They'd rather be anywhere else. But, you know, hey, they're getting paid their hourly wage to be here. And it's sometimes a trip, right? Because they'll be in Orlando or wherever. So, I knew early on that I needed to create an edutainment type factor behind it. So I have very funny and vulnerable stories about me and my life and who I am. They always have a very, a point behind them, but there's one point where I dance out everyone's personality in the office. Cause I believe you can actually see people's personality uh, from who they show up, how they show up in the office by how they show up on the dance floor. 
And almost all these conventions have a party at one point, right? They have a, a halfway decent DJ and open bar. And so you see people kind of, I don't know, show themselves a little bit on the dance floor. And so and I, you know, Spiritas, I mean, <laughs> so, well, I, yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, open bar liquor stuff going on. So, so yeah. So uh, it, it, it's, it's fun to see. And so I, have a background in dance. I grew up in the theater and I've, I grew up, I was a Disney dancer and all this stuff back in the day. And I, I still dance to this day. I do go to dance classes every three times a week and I, it's my cardio. And so I thought, how can I bring that love for entertainment and dance on the stage? And so one of my things is that another one, I actually get everybody up dancing with me, teaching them certain dances. And it's just a lot of fun. It's unique. It's unusual. And as long as I'm having fun, that's really all that matters, right? Because then people have fun when you have fun. It's like that idea of infectious fun. So, yeah. Yeah. My my wife's a big dancer. My wife used to own two medical spas in Tampa. Oh. Mm. And so, like, dealing with the, the, the people that work in the med spas, I can tell you yep. that um, nurses and nurse practitioners, um, I haven't met one yet whose personal life wasn't a shit show. <laughs> I, I, I have not. Wow. More problems than you could possibly imagine. Wow. And uh, so my, my wife, she had uh, she actually really managed her people. Well, the the biggest thing that I had to help her with, though, was how to communicate with her clients, because one of her specialties is she helps men particularly uh, does with women too, but it's mostly guys who are, are going bald and she helps them grow their hair back. Oh, got it. And so when, and it's an expensive procedure, but people would come in and, and she wasn't closing nearly as many as she thought that she should because, and, and then I listened to her one time and she's, she's speaking like she's talking at a medical conference. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, honey, they don't need to understand how this works. They just want it to work. They don't need to know how. They want to know what that, that outcome is going to be. I said, so what, what you need to do is you need to find out the reason why they want it done. You know, what pain that's causing them and how they're going to look in the future. You know, have them tell you what life is going to look, look like to them after that pain is gone. And so one day I was uh, at her office. I was, I was in her office working on a computer and she was in the exam room next door and I could, she talks real loud. I could hear every word she says. And so she had this, this little short balding guy in there, probably in his fifties. And she says, tell me why you want your hair back. Well, you know, I just got divorced and uh, you know, I, I don't like the balding. She says, so, you're telling me that the the bald spots kind of keeping you a little is is hurting your confidence in in a, in a big way. It is. Well, how's that affecting you? Well, I'm afraid to walk up to women. I'm afraid to do this. I'm afraid to do that. So you feel like if you get your hair back, you'll have the confidence and you can start dating 25 year olds again. Is that is that what you want? He says, Yeah, actually, that is what I want. She says, Well, you do what I tell you to do. And you, you, you follow my instructions exactly. In six months, you'll be picking up every girl at Hooters. Wow. And the guy didn't even ask how much the procedure was, just handed her 
his American Express card. And she walks in the office. She didn't even know I was there. And she went to swipe the card and she says, you know, this shit really works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you cure somebody's pain. The, yeah. the price doesn't matter. Yeah. And sure yeah. enough, the guy grew his hair back and, and he, uh, you know, you know, started dating much younger people, you know, wow. you, you know, which uh, was important to him. Sure. May not be important to everybody, but, you know, right. he, he didn't care about that. It's what's important to them. Well, what a, what an important distinction, right, is that we all have our thing that is important to us. We all have the thing. Somebody listening to that story right now going like, oh, well, he shouldn't be wanting to date 25 year olds. Why? Like that. It's yeah. not your thing, but it's his. And it makes him happy. It makes him feel joy. Like they're. Uh, she shouldn't be shopping at Nordstrom's. Well, it makes her happy. Like it's her thing. It's, she she shouldn't get fa- uh, you know plastic surgery. Well, it makes her feel important. My buddy Woody Woodward has a, a book called uh, Emotional Intelligence and uh, not Emotional Intelligence. Sorry, Emotional Fingerprint. And in it, the main crux of the idea is we all have a desire that's buried in us that that caused us to do everything we do that we will fight tooth and nail to defend of feeling important. And there are different, there are seven different ways that we feel important, but his whole thing is like, we just want to feel important. It is innate in us to feel a sense of importance. And sometimes when I say that to people at conferences or with my coaching, they're like, well, I'm, I'm fine. Not feeling. No, everybody wants to feel like they're important and say, so you want to feel like you're the best at, you know, better than other people. But you want to feel like you're important in somebody's life. There's somebody's somebody that you're reaching out to that you want to feel important to. There's there's uh, spouse, children, workmates, friends. You want to feel important. Everybody really wants to feel that. Yeah. Way. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people. I have learned this in my sales organization. Um, that I've been running for 25 years. Mm. There are now I don't understand this. I've never been one of these people, but but there are certainly uh, ones, many of them that are. There are a lot of people where winning the blue ribbon is far more important than money. Yeah, it's having that blue ribbon, getting that first place trophy, walking across the stage, being the man, being being the woman, being whoever. uh, That's more important than the bank account. I have personally, I don't understand it because I've never, I've never looked for validation. I've never really felt that way. But uh, to me, whatever my bank account is, that's what the blue ribbon is. But, but but again, there's the right there. I've never understood people who like cars, like need the Lamborghini, as you mentioned earlier. I said, I don't, I don't care. I've got a a Ford truck. I I love it. That's all I care about on my truck. Right. But so I, I teach a, a process. One of the things around owning your role is understanding how to support people. You mentioned about your your daughter earlier about how she didn't feel appreciated from her, her spouse. And in our work environments, one of the biggest challenges is a lot of owners don't realize that there are actually support styles that people have. And and I will say this to people, the, to doctors, to uh, business owners all the time. Look, the number one reason why people leave a job is not feeling appreciated. And the feedback I'll get almost immediately, especially with good intentioned owners is, 
are you talking about? Like, I tell them I'm, I'm grateful for them all the time, or I, I give them bonuses or, and I said, Oh no, 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 no. You don't understand. There are five specific support styles and they're all good. They're all great. One of them is giving them an actual reward, like the blue ribbon. And that's great. But that doesn't mean that's the way they specifically feel appreciated at the highest level possible. And when you understand that and you're able to understand that some people like education, some people like oversight, some people like uh, autonomy, some people like gifts and some people like public praise. When you get that and you give that with each person, now you're able to give them their specific thing and makes them feel like, oh, you're actually showing me support. Okay, cool. I appreciate yeah. that. And um, so that's, that's almost why. like learning the four love languages, isn't it? That's right. It's like the it's yeah. five languages, actually. I hope you know. Oh, that. five. Okay. It's five, Jeff. Don't, okay. don't forget the fifth one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for straightening me out on that. Uh, but it is. It's a lot like that in that sense of, and, and the more like love language is a great example because like, I don't care about gifts pretty much at all. If you look at the ranking of the love languages, gifts is my least, but it's my mom's number one. Luckily, it's not my wife's, uh, but my mom's. And that confused me for so long because I would go and help my mom move. I would tell her that I love her. I would have conversations with her to try to help her with whatever it is she's dealing with in life. And if I didn't send her a Mother's Day card, it's like, why don't you love me? Why don't you love me, Dino? What's wrong? What did I do? I'm like, what are you talking about, mom? I, I do all this stuff for you. But see, she accepted those other things, but yeah. that card, that gift meant the most important thing to her. hundred percent. Yeah. My mom's the same way. It's, it's all these little things that may not mean anything to me or me or you it means yeah. the world to them. Yeah, for sure. It means the world to them. And yeah. if you really want to piss them off, it's just belittle them and tell them how unimportant it really is. <laughs> I've made that mistake before. It didn't end well. <laughs> but if you really want, but on the opposite side of that, if you really want to show them how much you love them, you're doing that in spite of the fact that you don't get it. Like that's, that's where yeah. I had to learn is I don't get it, but I'm going to make sure that I do it because I want her to really know. And so for me, that's the ultimate love of showing love to my mom of doing something I really don't get, but I know it's important to you. So I'm going to do it. And in a marriage, that's what's so important about that is be able to say, I don't, I know you don't. I don't really care about spending time with you, which would be an interesting thing in a marriage, but I'm going to do it because, because I care. Yeah. It's like the, the first time I, br I bring my mom to Florida every winter and uh, you know, she, she will only eat things that are frozen, wrapped in plastic and in a box. Holy moly. All right. So this is stuff that I, you know, you know, <laughs> that's not in my house. So my wife and I, we go to Costco and we start, you know, get stuff. I said, well, I got to get some stuff for mom. And I started grabbing all this stuff. And, you know, my wife's a doctor, you know, she's big health nut. And she's like, why are you buying this shit? I said, let me tell you something, because it's what she wants. I said, she loves you right now. But if you start lecturing her on what, to, what to eat and what not to eat, you're not going to be friends anymore. Yeah. I said, just leave it alone. It's yep. what's important to her. <laughs> I was just on a, a podcast a couple hours ago where I was interviewing a gentleman and he talked about this idea, which really kind of, I'm going to totally add to my, my curriculum and ideas is 
He said, so many people fight against change, but everybody wants an upgrade. And so if you look at something as an upgrade instead of a change, all of a sudden it's not so hard. It's like, oh, I'm going to upgrade the way that I eat. I'm going to upgrade that. Hey, mom, we just want to upgrade from the, you know, all the sugar stuff to the same thing, but less sugar. I don't know, like whatever. It's like, yeah. And, 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 and looking at it that way is a way to kind of have that empathy for another person because you can sit there and judge it. Or you can say, hey, I'm just, I just want to, do you want to upgrade? I'm going to, I'll give you an upgrade. If you don't, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, you know, my, my wife, she'll see people that are in really bad health, but then she'll see them at the grocery store and she sees the stuff that they eat, see things, and she, she can't understand why they do it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and even her own clients would come to see her. I want to do this. I want to do that, but, but they never do. And I told her, and, and I believe this, the reason why so many people don't change, even though they may complain about their money, they co- complain about their relationships, they complain about their health or whatever. It's not painful enough That's right. to change. Yep. They're willing to tolerate it so that they can avoid the discomfort and the pain of making the change. Yep. That's it. Because if they, if it were truly painful enough, to where they just said, you know, I, I'm not going to tolerate this shit anymore. Then they would do it. They just haven't reached that critical mass point to where, to where it's like intolerable to them. Yeah. And that's why, uh, that's why I always say that you can't motivate people. I have people reach out to me, leaders. Hey, do you know how do I motivate this team member? Like you can't. No, it's got to come from inside. It's got to come from some sort of why I, I have a baseline belief about people because I recognize it myself, which helps me. It has helped me, I should say, because I, I, I live definitely in a space for a long time of like, why would you do that? Why, why don't people have great marriages? Why is this? And I came to the realization that, you know what? People are weird. Like yeah. we're all weird. And so if I start with the place of understanding, you know, we're all weird and that's okay. Like yeah. I like weirdness. I think it's great. But that means that that weirdness allows me to go, oh, well then if we're all weird, then for you, that's totally okay. For me, that's not what I would choose, but you're weird. I'm weird. So I could be weird. You could be weird. You could be looking at me going like, why would you choose that? So yeah, yeah. We're all weird. we all are. I mean, I mean, look at the people, look at the people that are in genius network. These are, there. there's some high roller people in there that, yeah. you know, that make hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And everybody thinks that these people have their shit together, not even close. Oh my not, gosh. Not even close. That was the biggest thing when I got into that uh, Jesus network. I, I specifically remember that day sitting there. There's a guy who was at a table across from me who just sold his supplement business for like over a billion dollars. Right. And he joined in with a lot of the other people in the chorus talking about how they were, they built these massive million, multi-million dollar businesses and they were addicts or they had been through their third marriage or they're miserable with themselves. And I remember sitting there going like, dude, what is my excuse? If yeah. these guys can build these businesses and not have, I don't have any of those things. I don't have a, I have a great marriage. I love my wife. This is awesome. I have amazing kids. I've never been addicted to, I mean, I guess I'm addicted to food, you know, but like, I, I don't have these problems. I really don't have an excuse. And I don't think they're that much smarter than I am. So it was a real big uh, eye-opening that way. But you're right. I think everybody's in that boat, though, in some ways. And then I'll say that, but yet I don't have 
all of my my stuff together when it comes to my health, right? Like I should be more fit than I am. I need to lose 30 pounds and I could lose 30 pounds, but what Dino's weird. So he decides to choose other things, right? We all got stuff. Yeah. We all got stuff. Uh, I told somebody one time uh, we were talking about, we, uh, we had gone to a board meeting at an insurance company. I do business with about 50 different insurance companies. And I know the presidents and CEOs of all of them. And some of them are privately owned. And uh, we were talking about some of the proclivities that a couple of these people had. And I said, I would challenge you that to find this, but you never will. I said, at the top of any successful organization, I don't care what it is, is a crazy bastard. <laughs> There's a crazy son of a bitch at the top of every successful organization. Like you, you go to the meetings and uh, Genius Network, or you go to inside. I mean, they're all lunatics. Yep. Which is uh, which is a beautiful thing. Like I said we're weird. Uh, Mike Cannings calls everybody aliens, right? They're all yep. aliens. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dino, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do it? So DinoWatt.com is where you're going to find out a lot about my speaking and you'll see a sizzle reel and all that stuff of me and what I do. And I MC, I train, I uh, do full uh, keynote speeches. Dino Watt Consulting lets you know a little bit more about the own your role process, which is what I take leaders and teams through, which is so much fun. And I'm just really passionate about that. And then like you've done social media. I, I love social media and for what it can do to deliver. I try to put a, out as much positivity as I can possibly think about to kind of counteract all of the negativity that's out there. And I try to do it in a way that doesn't say, look at me, I'm amazing. It's how can we actually grow together and, and make the world a better place, which as cheesy as it sounds, it's a lot more fun. And you have two books. Uh, so I have my first book is the practice RX, which is for practice owners to help them uh, build their culture and their communication and connection inside their office. And then I have a book called hire and fire like your like a boss, which is out of print right now. It's an actual uh, online program. And then my most recent books were the um, selling through the screen. If you do any type of sales or anything through the screen, understanding how to see body language through the screen, understanding how to use the right formats and processes and things yeah. like that. And then it's a sister book to a book called Mastering Virtual Consults. So like your wife who does consultations, especially during COVID, there is a big uptick in virtual consultations. I wrote a book uh, all about that. I live in Florida. We never had COVID here. Yeah, that's true. I forgot. <laughs> You're right. You you in Switzerland. Is, yeah, is yeah. We never we never had it here. I mean, it, I, I loved visiting Florida during that time. That was my favorite place to visit. Yeah, it it, it was funny. Like like DeSantis was. Uh, we need everybody to be. Cur cur you know, we're going to have a curfew, so everybody needs to be in at twelve. Right. Wink, <laughs> wink. <laughs> wink, wink. Well, Dino, brother, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you for uh, having folks, me, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely, folks. Give him a follow. His Instagram's great. Uh, a lot of good, great content out there and a lot of good common sense stuff. Uh, I really enjoy looking at it and, and I know you will too. Dino, thank you so much for being on. My pleasure.